I wish it could be back on better terms, but nonetheless, the Romans Empire podcast is back. I'm joined by Sam Bagarzade, one of the OGs of the Romans Empire podcast, and joining us is Andres, our adopted brother. I think that's <laughs> the best way we can put it, Andres. I think we've been through it all together at this point. It's only been a year. Lots of highs and lows in the season and a half that I've been part of the Romans Empire pod. Mostly lows, though. Mostly lows. Yeah. That's what brings us the closest, to be honest. It was right around around this time last year, like when you started coming on regularly, where we just kind of like tailed off under sorry. Oh, you think that's a coincidence? I think it was earlier. Yeah, Listen, I'm just at that saying. point I was already a I was already a full on member by this time that's last season. Yeah, <laughs> you know what we need, Andres? We need uh, the number for the Houston Astros. Maybe they could help us out, pick up a couple extra points here and there. Wow. All right. Not too soon. Well, <laughs> I don't even want to hear sorry. Andreas's take on it because it's just gonna be so stupid. So like, let's not <laughs> let's not get other people's like let's not try to hurt other people's brains. What? Uh, yeah. Defend my Astros to the death. That's all I'm saying. I, 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 I don't know what's harder to talk about, Astros <laughs> or this Man United game. Like, I really don't. Like, can we just stop recording now? Is that possible? And we just like cancel the episode, or do we have to continue? I think. Uh, I think we should continue because we haven't recorded in three fucking weeks. Oh yeah. It's been playing FIFA instead. <laughs> and, yeah. and grieving come on yeah, now we, there's we, real reason and grieving oh yeah yeah you have to say so, a little something about kobe first yeah uh i don't know it, it it was it was one of the hardest weeks in a very long time um i was at a soccer tournament when i found out and i got in my car my fiance calls me and she's like don't freak out but you know she explained it to me and uh I actually wound up driving to the I didn't believe it because growing up he was immortal to me. You know, he was like he was my favorite athlete ever, period, in any sport. So, you know, especially him being in my hometown, it just took on this whole new feel and it honestly felt like a family member died. It was it, it, it was really, really tough. But you know, just to kind of like tie this full circle with football, you know, the amount of love and respect that footballers had for Kobe just mm-hmm. exemplifies exactly who he was as a person. So that, I, I guess, you know, that was, that was one of the touching components about it. Cause you know, it's, he was for sure an ambassador of the sport. I mean, his affiliation oh, yeah. with Milan and <laughs> all the Turkish airline commercials. <laughs> yeah. With Messi. Yeah, with Messi. Yeah. Uh, what's that? Yeah. I think it was Turkish, uh, but yeah, he's a, he's a diehard Milan fan. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, like, just really quickly, like, I don't want to, you know, it's not, like, about, like, personal stories, but, like, just, it's crazy Kobe's effect because I grew up, like, not a Kobe fan, like, to be honest, like, I did not like Kobe at all. I'm a Clippers fan growing up in L.A., and, it, like, as someone who, like, hated him as a basketball player, you know, I didn't hate him as a person, uh, his yeah. whole life, it, like, still crushed me, like, that just shows his effect on the city like you know like a, a part of a whole entire city died all at once he w- put it this way when Zlatan came to LA he was the one person that he did not fuck with right uh-huh. Zlatan fucks with everybody <laughs> cause yeah a black mamba would kill a lion for sure <laughs> oh any day of the week 
So that's, uh, that's the true king of the jungle. Yeah. All right. Let's 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 talk to. Let's on, go on, on to something more, more depressing. Oh yeah, on to more depressing news. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Obviously, before we even get into anything, we have to take into context like right when the like or like it's like ten minutes before the lineups are announced. I am seeing on Twitter Cho hasn't shown up, and apparently he has he had a picked up a hamstring injury. It's like. Uh, are you serious? Like we're already dealing with so many injuries to do right now, and to add that on top, like I, I knew that our front three was going to be terrible. And, <laughs> oh boy, like I, I, and it's funny because I, my prediction, like like ten minutes before the lineup came out, I was like, all right, Drew, and Pedro and William. I mean, obviously maybe Mason Mount, but it was William, Mishi, and Pedro front three, and. uh <laughs> Caballero in goal, which is also another insane like this is just like a hilarious lineup. When I read it, I was just like, "What the heck's going on?" Reese James, Christensen, Rudiger, and Dave in the back line, and Golo Conte, Jorginho, and Kovacic. So the midfield he got right. Uh, I mean, obviously everything else, it's like they did the best that they could. Um, Tammy was out obviously as well with an ankle injury, um, and then in Golo Conte picking up an injury what like 30 minutes less than 30 minutes and 12 minutes in oh right yeah. i mean that's just you know when you when you have a game like that and and christensen breaks his nose like all the horrible things that happened like and still the fact that <laughs> we felt like we were robbed after that like is really crazy you know what i mean like yeah like all this shit was against us and still like even though we lost Two nil, like I, that we'll, we'll talk about the red card. Obviously, VAR was just like the 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 focal point of this whole match. Like that's literally the match revolves around that discussion. But uh, let's just talk a little bit before our game plan uh, out the window. Uh, Zach, you want to start off? Yeah, I mean, obviously the injury to Conte had a huge effect on the match. So you know, started out in a four three three as you would have expected, but. Um, you know, Mason Mount had to come on in his place, and it and it and it looked like we switched to a four-two-three-one from there on. And not to say that it wasn't successful in the game, because there were periods of the match where we did dominate. You know, of course we dominated possession, but that doesn't mean shit if you're not scoring goals. But we were creating chances, and 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 we we were pretty dangerous considering that. You know, our front three was pretty non-existent. I actually thought the midfield and especially the fullbacks uh, were pretty good early on in the game. Um, I thought Reese James had a goal. I'm going to be completely honest. Um, so, uh, I, I don't know, man. We're kind of stuck in this position now where Conte is just not reli- not a reliable option this season. Um, and, and there's question marks about that going forward. Worry me, you know, looking into the future here because – we do have the opportunity, and dare I say it, to cash in on him. I have been against it for the longest time, but I don't know. You know, it, it just doesn't seem like he can get a break at the exactly. moment. And what's what happens <sighs> if you know these this next stretch of three matches? What we have, Bayern, we have Tottenham, Bayern, and Liverpool, right? In the next like week and a half. Yeah. <laughs> what happens if we win all three without N'Golo Conte? <laughs> Is that... we'll, we'll pocket another hundred plus million in the summer. 
I mean, is that it, like? I mean, obviously, like it's that that'll never happen. To be honest, I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's not possible. It, it's but not like the the whole narrative yeah. behind that idea of N'Golo Conte possibly being sold and are we better without him? If if we win all three matches, that's gonna be it's gonna be driven through the roof like that narrative. It's gonna be hilarious. But well, I know uh, I know it, Andres it, is gonna mention the stats. It feeds about, off, you know. I mean, it, yeah. I don't know. Numbers, numbers say otherwise, guys. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying that we're a better team without Conte. It's just the way that we play as a team might not be fitting him anymore. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. I, th- I think that's that's the better way to phrase it. Obviously, you, you we would never assume that N'Golo Conte is like dipping, but maybe the way that we're playing, it just doesn't fit his play style. Uh, I don't buy into that though. He just hasn't looked right all season. I mean, he hasn't looked like looked right since the Europa League final. Did you see it, what it, happened to him? I mean, what was it like a non-contact injury? Was this something that has is it is, has it been like an ongoing thing or a recurring thing that just like he it's? Went... I think they're different though, right? Like yeah, it's been he's been different injuries up. left and right. It was and... a hamstring before now. Now it's abductor. No. Yeah, yeah. So he's had groin thing... issues before too with us. Yikes. Yeah, I'm. I think it's one of those things where I mean the guy we we all know about his stamina and how much he, ground he covers, but I mean it's at one point your age catches up with you and he hasn't changed his play style whatsoever. So, I, and and the way that we play now doesn't help either because we don't play a, a low block where he can wait and pick and choose when he goes out for tackles. So the fact yeah. that we don't have that many options, we Lampard hasn't been the best at rotating. There's been a, there's been a lot of things that may build up to the amount of injuries but even when he wasn't injured i mean we'll we'll talk about big picture things later he's, he's been injured though and you could tell the way he's playing i mean he's not he's not getting around the pitch as he normally does he he just doesn't look right it looks it just looks out of character and i and i do think that goes down to his injuries because i mean when you think about it andres like you talked about how much how many games he's been playing since that season at lester when he won the title he really hasn't had much time off he's had maybe Maybe one summer since then, um, you know, he's had the Euros. He's had, you know, now he has the World Cup coming up this summer. He had the he had the World Cup a few years back. I mean, he's played a lot of football. And I just think it's gotten to the point where his playing style, you know, he's not a big guy. It's not like he could get around the pitch easily. He's He's small. He has to cover more ground. And the fact that he runs, you know, 12 miles a game doesn't really help. And I just think that that's catching up to him. I just think he's well, burnt out. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think he's actually running more now than he was before. Because, again, with Lester, he was a, a holding double pivot with Drinkwater. And they were counterattacking team. With Conte, it was a 3-4-3 counterattacking team. It's been the Sarri and, and Lampard tactics that I think is what's breaking him, where mm. we're trying to press high, where we're trying to tell him to cover all of the field, not from the center mid backwards. You know what I mean? So I think that's what might be leading to all these injuries. I'm not saying that I, I don't think that if we were to go back to like a Jose Mourinho style of, of play, I think Conte would look just as good as he had before. And, and that's my mm. fear that as he approaches his 30s, this run-and-gun, all-out press on a heavy touch and that sort of thing may just not be something that Conte physically can can do much longer. 
How much can we sell him to Inter for this summer? <laughs> now, PSG, PSG Inter, Madrid. Inter cannot afford him. <laughs> I don't think there's very many teams in Europe that could afford him. Look, I mean, if Chelsea do wind up selling, if there's one thing Chelsea is good at, it's selling players for huge profit. Like, selling players that have no business selling for certain prices. And I think Conte, I mean, he's a 100 million pound player. I don't think there's any question about that. But I definitely think Chelsea are, are, are not going to necessarily get rid of him unless an absurd offer comes from, you know, like the Madrid or, uh, you know, a Barcelona type or maybe even a Juventus to mm -hmm. a certain extent. But. Yeah, no, I was going to say that, I, aside from the fact that I, we were talking about selling him, I thought that in the first 10 minutes, like Mount did a good job when he came in, but I think Conte, in the first 12 minutes was when we were at most control of the game. Yeah. And part of it, I think, is because Conte was covering for Reese James and mm -hmm. allowing Reese James to get up and wide in the field. After that, I swear, there was so much space between Reese James and Christensen that they were trying to target. Yeah. And so part of like we're talking about game plan, I think Conte coming out, not as much Christensen to Christensen Zuma sub. I, I don't think it made much of a difference. I mean, Zuma even put the ball in the back of the net, but the Conte getting removed and switching to four, two, three, one took one less player from kind of getting in the way of the man United counterattack. And I, I think that cost us big time in the, in the picture of the 90 minutes. When when uh, Conte originally like, first got hurt and we see Ross Barkley and Mason Mount warming up on the sideline, like was there any doubt in your mind that Ross Barkley was about to check in? <laughs> like <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was Barkley based on the cameras. Yeah, I know me too. And I was like, oh my god, this is ruined. But seeing him select Mount, that, that made my day. But uh, I mean, we let, let's move on to the VAR uh, because that's like actually the biggest talking point of this match, and I hate the fact that it is. But it, like I said before, like that the the game surrounded revolved around that single issue. Uh, so this is how it played out in this in this match. So this uh, this guy, this piece, this I'm trying to think of the word without Zach. You know what word am I thinking of right now? Um, I don't know, but he has a big ass head. Okay, cool. So we could just sh shit on him for that. Asshole. I, guess. I think that's the word. <laughs> Maguire, uh, kicks Mishi right in the balls after getting knocked out of bounds uh, in the 20th minute. No call. A review with VAR confirming that there is no call. So after a VAR review, they watch it. They say it's okay. I have a conspiracy about that. I'll talk. I'll bring it up. Uh, Zuma scored a goal, making it 1-1 to 56. Turned around because Dave pushed Williams in the buildup, even though that Fred pushed Dave, which pushed Williams. I mean, that's that's pretty crazy how they didn't see that. But anyway, yeah. Then uh. McGuire, after not being sent off, comes in, makes it 2-0 in the 66. Giroud scores a diving header off the front post. Varane, I mean, it was amazing. And then, who, who passed that again? It was it was it Mason it was Mount. Mount. Yeah, yeah, what a ball. Also, um, yeah, VAR ball. overturns the goal because he's a toe off sides, which I will I will accept that. Like that's yeah. that's what VAR should be for. And I'm like, you know, I mean, you can't complain about that. That's that's he was off sides. It's unfortunate, but that's how it was. But I mean that mcguire i mean oh, first before i go into mine i gotta say uh 
at Bone Daddy Cool, aka Ron, aka Bone Bone Daddy Deluxe. He says this goes without saying, but fuck VAR. That's yeah. uh, I had I had to put that out there because that's I think that's what we're all thinking. But this is my like. You you look at the if you look back at um the Sun red card when he fell and he kicked uh Rudiger. Do you guys yeah. remember what I'm talking about? That was a red card, yep. and that was almost identical to what Harry Maguire did. Okay, and yeah. I mean, after reviewing it and watching it, to not even give him a yellow at like nothing. If if he wasn't the starting center back for the England national team, do you think like there's any chance that this would have like he would have gone anything but a red card? I mean, how Ooh, much? Some- like, Some cultural bias. I really I, the captain I, of Manchester United. That's yeah, why he didn't get a red why. card. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's more of the national team. Like, I don't know because I mean, wh- what VAR is run by the FA, right? No, uh, it's, it's there's referees a association. Yeah, it's like it? PGMOL or something like that. I don't know. I, I, yeah. I, but still, I, I I think that there was a lot of bias. I mean, is is that am I like wearing a tinfoil hat or is that like, I mean, because what other explanation is there? No, a hundred percent, man. I mean, the 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 president was set with that son foul on Rudiger. With part of this Maguire one, like, it it's a red card. I mean. I watched the Sky Sports commentator say the same thing. The NBC Sports guys were in complete shock. I'm waiting to find someone. You, you know when you get caught in a lie and you keep trying to tell more more details as to like why you're you're actually not lying. That's exactly what Maguire and Old Gunnar Solskjaer did. Yeah. Right after that, mm-hmm. Old Maguire saying, "Oh, I I stuck my leg out to protect myself because Michi was gonna fall on me." If you watch that, Michi was nowhere near falling. He was. He was upright. He was trotting. He was literally jogging. You just gotta look at he the bodied. eyes, man. He, he he looks right exactly where he's gonna kick and kicks it, bro. I mean, it's 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 so clear. Oh my god, it, it was bad. It, that he knew what he did. He got away with one. It's disgusting. It's bullshit, man. I mean, I mean, okay. It all comes back to the sun red card, where you know there was a bit of gray. Some people had gray. There was gray area for certain people, and I and I could kind of see that, right? It was way less of a red card than this. Michi got kicked in the balls. <laughs> How is that not a red card in any way, shape, or form? It, the, there's clearly a foot to balls motion. And like not it's, just it, the, the, with there's the no studs, question with the studs. It's not it's, just a kick. It's like there's the no studs. question. And I think and I think the fact that you know like yes, it wasn't the hardest. You know, n- no pun intended. It nice. wasn't the hardest contact ever. Like <laughs> it, it, it's not like he punted him right in the ball sack, but he. He kicked him in the balls. There's no way. There's no logic. There's no argument against that. And the fact clearly, that clearly clear frustration, pal. I mean, hundred yeah. percent. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course don't it was. Leave you know? unnatural movement. You don't just yeah. randomly kick your leg up when you're on your back. Like it's like this dude's trying to, you know, acrobatically get back up. He lunged at Bashuai's balls. Simple. And 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 the thing is, like after it happened, and Dave mentioned this after the match. The center official didn't even go look at the monitor. And the monitor is about – he jogs all the way over to the bench to assess the situation. The monitor is maybe 15 feet away from him, and he still doesn't want to go to the monitor because, you know, some dumb fuck at, you know, 
Stockley Park is making some bullshit analysis on something that he's not even experiencing. Oh, it, by the way, Anthony Anthony Taylor also missed Son's kick. It's same referee, by the way. Yeah, so. it, it, it's it, it's so bizarre, and I think the frustration with VAR is not the actual technology itself, because I think over time, like they'll work out those kinks. I think the issue here is the actual human error that goes behind VAR decisions. Yep. It's not the actual technology itself, and that's and that's the thing that needs to be assessed more than anything, you know. The final decision, the final determination of a VAR call should be made by the center official. It shouldn't be made by somebody in his ear saying, oh, I think this. Oh, yeah, okay, I'll do that because I didn't see it. No, you go to the camera and you take a look at it. You're fe- you're in the midst of the game. You're feeling the tempo of the game, the intensity, the physicality. Zach, what did it- you say also? Sorry, I had to cut you off. I know what you're talking yeah. but like a counterpoint to that is like I, I-, I would think that the main ref, the guy who made the call, is less likely to overturn a call that he made because he'd be conceding that he was wrong rather than a third person who – or whatever, fourth person who, okay. you I, know, like I, I think that's that's an important thing to do, you know, because that I, is, that is see, a factor. Sam, I see the logic in that, but at the same time, get over yourself if you're a referee. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, 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 that's clear. Don't, don't tell that to cl- me. Like it's not. No, 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 no. I'm saying this about officials in general because every single Premier League ref seems to have some sort of ego about themselves. For sure. And, and it's and it's a fact. It's not you that's know the media the blowing point. anything up. No, it, they brought that upon themselves. They've been making shit calls for the last five or six years now. The same general group of referees. Making and, the game and, about themselves. Yeah, it's 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 not even that. It's they're just afraid to be wrong. And VAR was brought in to correct their mistakes. It's it, it it's a system of checks and balances. And well, that's what I'm saying. You gotta have another person. It's all make... checks. There's no balance, and that's what I'm trying to get at. Like that's the frustrating part about VAR is is the consistency. There's no consistency whatsoever. Andreas, what do you think? Well, I. I wanted to say, like, based on, like, so I looked up the official use of VAR, right? So VAR technology, here's the official wording by the, the, yeah, by the Secretary of the Lawmaking International Football Association Board. So he says that the VAR should only be used to reverse clear and obvious mistakes, including offside de- decisions. And and it, the big part is that it should be used to reverse clear and obvious mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. So my big thing with this is so you guys were saying oh well the Giroud goal whatever like clear it, and that's obvious. what he but it wasn't so the the clear and obvious things i think of is last season we played Tottenham under sorry and the referee missed an offside where Harry Kane was a solid full step in front of our center backs and they they let it play on and I believe he got a penalty kick from that play eventually because I think Kepa came out, something along those lines. That's the obvious mistake. Or or the, yeah, the handballs are an obvious mistake mm-hmm. where the ball is completely deflected and the defender stuck his arm out or whatever. Those are obvious mistakes. When Giroud scored his goal, nobody flinched. Absolutely nobody moved. The goal went in. They were like, oh, crap, that was a good goal. The fact that they had to zoom in, and you could see this while you're watching the NBC broadcast. They zoomed in to find out if the two lines weren't lined up because part of Giroud's foot was in front of the other foot. Like, 
at that point, that's not clear and obvious. Nobody, if VAR doesn't exist at this point, nobody flinches that Giroud's goal was onside. Nobody. And, and what does that do? For one, the atmosphere of the game. You had twice in this game a chance for Chelsea. Ignore the red card. That one's, I'm, I'm not going to argue that. We all know it should have been a red card. But the Zuma goal, nobody saw that push. Either of them. I, all I saw was Zuma kicked it. The ball went in. The yeah. stadium goes nuts. Next thing I know, everybody stops because they're like, oh, we need to check VAR. Like, the EPL uses this so poorly. I, I watch Bundesliga games. I watch Serie A games. You don't see these guys go straight to their ear after it. They look at it. They look at the ARs. The ARs didn't see anything. All right, we're good. If they're approaching kickoff and then the VAR people tell them to stop, they will. It feels like the EPL instantly goes, yo, check it. Check the tape. Check 20 angles. Wait a whole minute to figure this out. Okay, just kidding. No goal. Like, neither of those goals were clear and obvious mistakes. So this game could have easily ended 2-2, even forgiving the, the Maguire red card. As a fan, watching at this point, I'd rather have the referee make clear mistakes so that I can celebrate freely or get pissed off than, like, look like a damn idiot celebrating both <laughs> Zuma and Giroud's goals for them to be both taken away. Like, we all know the ecstasy, the, the euphoria when you score a big goal, especially against a rival. And this happens more often than not now where you're just like, wait, can I celebrate? For sure. Oh, we got the goal. Yay. You're never going to be able to trust all it. Gone. Yeah. The, the, the whole point of scoring, the whole celebration aspect is long gone. Mm -hmm. Players are soon going to not celebrate at all because they don't know if their goal is going to stand. And, and that's where the whole uh, execution of, of VAR in the Premier League is garbage. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I got to disagree with you about the Giroud thing. Like, okay, he, he, he did look offside to me personally. I mean, I could, see, I could see how it goes both ways, but that one I'm not too fussed about. The ASP one is just ridiculous. Fra Frank talked about it in his post-match presser. He said, you know, I thought my interpretation of VAR is, you know, it's supposed to detect when there's a clear and obvious error that the referee missed. And he said, how was Fred's push not a clear and obvious push, but somehow Aspie's was? I mean, yes, granted, yeah. Brandon Williams sold it. And, you know, Aspie didn't really necessarily push as much as he kind of braced for a collision. He just kind of stuck his arms out like you naturally would. Same way uh, Harry Maguire stuck his leg out like you naturally would, and and, and that call goes against us. It, it it's 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 ridiculous. And and again, consistency. There is absolutely zero consistency in VAR. And I I don't know, like I don't have a special remedy or a theory that could just you know automatically improve it overnight. Besides, you know, get rid of all these shit refs and bring in <laughs> someone that you know has actually played the game. Probably the only solution at this point is having ex-pros and ex-players looking at the VAR tapes because they've experienced similar situations. They've experienced, you know, similar intensity and, and, and physicality in their matches. These referees have no idea what they're looking at. When you watch something in slow motion, it looks a thousand times worse than it does in real time. Mm -hmm. And Dave's the, – the disallowed goal was case in point. It was case in point. Now, regardless of whether or not how hard Fred's push was on Dave, Dave got pushed. If you are moving in a forward motion and someone lightly pushes you on the back, it's going to throw you slightly off balance, don't you think? Mm -hmm. 
it, it, it's it's such bullshit, yeah, guys. Like, I mean, I, if, if it, you're if you're going to say that Dave's push is clear and obvious, then you have to say that Fred's is as well. I, exactly. I, I think that neither are clear and obvious, and it should have been going. But Play on. And to be honest, yeah. like Andreas, like what you were saying before, like the clear and obvious, like that the way that you're construing that that language you know i mean like it's the standard of proof is like if it's objectively offsides like the the giroux offsides like that was objective clearly and obviously you know like you take you compare the lines it's clear that it was offsides like but the, the it, my issue like with zach is the stuff that is not objective you know like the pushing like it's you know reasonable minds could differ as to whether it yeah. was you know fred pushing or whether it was you know dave pushing or whether it was anyone you know caused it like i think if if reasonable minds could differ on what what that call should be then it shouldn't be reversed you know and and yeah and it was you know like when you when you are using this system inconsistently that's when the problems come and mm -hmm. andreas also like the point that you were making about like the joy of the game like that is actually a very serious issue, I think. Like, and it should. The fan be experience should be should be number one for sure because yeah, it really because you know on one side, like you you always got to you always got to admit when VAR is in your favor you love it when it's not in your favor you hate it you know like that's you, that's that's like obviously that goes without saying but like you know you also you want to make the right calls you know you don't, don't want to win a game knowing that it was a bullshit call you also don't want to lose a game knowing that there was a bullshit call but you know getting it right is that more important than like and you know, possibly than, fucking it up or or more important than that, that that thing andreas was talking about the feeling that you get after a goal like dude like i think like you said it perfectly andreas like i think back in that moment of me celebrating during uh during uh who's who scored the uh, zuma's was it zuma's Zuma. goal yeah yeah and like looking back and it's like wow what a, like i feel like a fucking idiot like celebrating like that for something that didn't even happen like that that experience that i had was fake you know like it wasn't real <laughs> so it not even that it's like even no, when we score and we know real. and we know that it was a legal goal you still have to be like Exactly. It's you, it's, it's either one or the off. other. It's either you celebrate, you look like an idiot, or you can't celebrate at all because you're afraid of looking like an idiot. And hey, I think, did. and I think that is obviously, it's like, you know, you think about it, it's like, oh, you know, just you look like an idiot, like whatever, it's not a big deal. But like, it actually, I think it is very important, like the fan experience and like yes. the passion for the game and. I think that I should that should be given a lot more consideration. And I don't blame the fans for chanting that VAR ruins football at the stadiums one bit. These people right. are paying their hard-earned, I guess, pounds in, in this case to go to these matches. They don't get to see what's going on on screen because, again, some stadiums may not have a big screen and other stadiums just say no call or offside. So, like, part of it is you – even in a stadium, imagine we go to the stadium like next season where you're going to lose that home field advantage or that giant buzz moment because everyone's going to sit there, look at the screen and wait mm -hmm. their 15 to 45 seconds to say, oh, we can celebrate now. And even then that's like, OK, well, it already the moment's gone. The moment's just gone. Yeah. And it's funny because that's not something that's like quantifiable. It's hard to explain and like express, you know, that feeling. 
but VAR really does ruin that. And I think that is actually like, you know, and I think that if, you know, over time, the more and more like we like get defensive about like whether we want to react to it, like the less popular watching live sports is going to be, you know, or live soccer, to be honest. We people already speaking as American fans who know that soccer is not number one here in every other major sport here. The scores are high. You you get to celebrate every five to ten minutes in basketball. You you're scoring com- until you know from the very beginning until the very end. There's points the being tallied up in the hundreds. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and you maybe get a buzzer beating moment once every few games, like something of that stature. That's all soccer is. You go from zero to 100 when the goals get scored. Yeah. And you're taking that all away from the fans, from even the players, dude. Like, the momentum shifts. Like, you get a goal, that's part of it. You, you're elated. You're supposed to, like, take that. You pick up the ball from the net. You take it to the middle of the pitch, and you go get more because you're trying to come back. And all that gets taken away when you have to review <laughs> and in- everything. Instead of celebrating to the actual goal, you're celebrating to a referee pointing, like, like pointing, yeah. you know, like, it's like, what, why am I celebrating over a guy pointing? That's not, that's not spectacular. The fucking guy ripping the ball in the back of the net. That's, that was the exciting part. Like, you know, right. Uh, but I honestly don't know if for sure VAR is here to stay. I, I think. No, it is. It's not going anywhere. I mean, I don't know. I tried looking into it, and there's no evidence to suggest that it's going to go anywhere. It's not going anywhere because the Premier League is the only place where it's such a big issue. Exactly, and and, and like Andre said, every other league, you know, I I watched the uh, the Lazio Inter match this weekend, and VAR mm. wasn't an issue. It was just a great match of football, and it was the first time in a very long time where I could honestly say I sat down and watched a full match of football without any major controversy that doesn't have to do with the 22 players on the pitch. All right. Well, I think that was the most we talked about VAR because every time we talk about it, I say, let's not talk about VAR because it's the same conversation every time. But yeah, I, think, it is. I think that was a, I think that was a good discussion on it. Uh, so, I mean, at the end of the day, referees and VAR are part of the game, but Chelsea didn't really do anything on the pitch to warrant a victory anyway. Uh, you know, we'll wrap up with this. Actually, before before we get into the negatives, I want to have one positive. I thought Kova was amazing. Kovacic had an amazing game, like working in tight spots, getting the ball up the pitch. Like I was watching the I was watching the match with one of my friends who's an Arsenal fan at school, and he was asking me like, "What does Kovacic do?" And I was like, "He's not good at scoring. He's okay at passing, but like him bringing the ball up the pitch, like that's that's his yeah. forte." And literally, like, 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 with like, the ten, fifteen minutes after I said that, like, he had like five amazing built-up plays. Like, he was like, you know, made me look like a genius for saying that. But <laughs> I mean, he, he's, I love him so much. You know, like, uh, I thought he had an amazing game, and it was unfortunate that we didn't finish off with a win. But what, yeah. what, what was the other negative points that you guys? And then we'll move on to the Spurs preview. <laughs> Can, can we just go ahead and start with what uh, our good friend Ron Bone Daddy Deluxe oh, yeah. has to say? Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, there, there's no way in hell that bat starts for us again, right? Never, never again should Mishibashuai's name be in the starting 11 unless we're playing 6th Division 
Northtown, Prestonshire, West End. <laughs> Listen, I do man. not want to see that man that real anywhere near the starting eleven of this pit of, of this team ever again. Go back to France. Go back to Belgium. Maybe, maybe there you can be sponsored and wear a sponge SpongeBob kit and get more Instagram followers. I'm done with Michi Bachuai. Let's take hindsight out of it real quick. Like completely no hindsight at all. Like ignore the game he had. Like did any of either of you guys think that Michi should have gone to start over Giroud like before the match even started? No, not in a match like this. We like, and this is the frustrating doing, part. Well, yeah, and and this is what I was going to get to. You know, after the match, they first Frank talked about, you know, he, he was asked about Michi and, you know, he basically said yeah, he had a tough game out there, and guess what? Tough luck. That's basically what he said. Strikers have to score goals, and that's how they're judged. And if you're not scoring goals, when, you, when you're getting decent opportunities, you know, he. okay, I'm not fussed that he didn't get a goal in this match in particular, but I just am. the lack of impact on the game whatsoever, and it seems like, if you don't catch Michi in the six-yard box on a good day, what else is he really doing for you? And I and I think that's a frustration for Frank. But the thing is, later on in that same you know press conference, he goes on about, well, you know, we knew United were going to sit back and hit us on the break with pace. Okay, you know you have to break a team down. You have a human wall pass sitting there on your bench. What are you doing? Like I. That's the frustrating part for me, and especially knowing how much we like to cross the ball in, too. Especially with Reese James yeah. out wide, you would think that maybe getting, you know, your your 6'2 beautiful Frenchman that you have sitting on the bench, World Cup winner, who's not necessarily the most prolific goal scorer, but has made a career off of being a game changer. And you emphasis just, on the beautiful part as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a huge emphasis on the beautiful part. The man's gorgeous. But besides that, like it it, it it goes down to playing style. And if you even want to go beyond, you know, uh, the opponent that we were playing and beyond that, the, the, the attacking aspect of what he could have brought as opposed to Michi from the start, what about defensively? We struggle on set pieces. We were talking about it before the podcast started. You know, after the United game, we we, we were 19th in the Premier League at, at defending set pieces. We concede one for every 11 corners that we face. It's it, it, it's ridiculous. I think we're 18th now, thanks to West Ham. But, you know, if you really want to pick apart the little details that Giroud has to offer, stick him in a drug position on the front post on corners. Nothing's going to get past that guy. You want to talk about people who who have a desire to get their head on the ball? Olivier Giroud has made a whole career out of that, and it just it kind of blows my mind that he hasn't gotten a look in as of right now. Yes, I know he was pushing for his move, but after you know the January window closed, I was pretty sold on the fact that okay, you know what, Frank's gonna start giving more time to Ali. He has to because Michi is just not doing anything for us. And, and and Frank had no remorse, uh, you know, no sympathy for Michi whatsoever after the match. It, just tough luck. Strikers got to score it. He doesn't no, deserve he it. Doesn't. But, but I I saw that lineup and I was like, okay, for one, I was upset, but I understood, I guess, why Michi still started because the one thing, so the the stubbornness with Sari was always picking the same eleven because of his philosophy, and I think that's kind of. This is where Lampard is falling in that sort of trap. He wants to play a certain brand of, of 
pressuring and and how he wants to defend off the ball. But at this point, we don't have that freedom anymore. Like we do not have this giant gap where we can keep doing philosophy over results. And especially in the last five games where we've been spamming crosses into the box and Mishi still hasn't been scoring them because he has been getting chances. You would think that he had already been running out of his, you know, kind of like lives, you know, Oh, you missed this one. Oh, you missed that one. Mm -hmm. And then to start this game, he missed like three. So no pity whatsoever for Mishi Bachuai after this game, because we could have had this game done and dusted through him before even thinking about the Giroud, like this, we could have not had a Giroud conversation if Mishi was even an average striker in that game. Well, well look at the look at the impact Giroud had when he came on too. We could have had that from the first minute. That's what I was about to get minute. to. Yeah. He, he immediately the buildup. We had somebody to pass it long to. He was bringing it down. He was fighting for every ball, even if he wasn't keeping position. Giroud was beating all their center backs to that first initial air ball, and again. It's not that we kept the ball, but it's chaotic. It, they're not in control. They're actually like, crap, we need to actually fight for all these headers because this guy's going to go after everything. Those little things were so important. And again, he was a toe offside. He got his head on the ball, and he actually put it in the back of the net. Great finish, yeah. Mishi, Mishi kicked the ball, or he was poorly standing in like six different chances that should have been tap-ins. The dude is just brain dead. Simple as that. If he's not dribbling like – one-on-one, or if he doesn't have the space in the box at this point, it's not going to go in. It's just not. Like, his confidence is shot. It has been shot. And I hope that Lampard finally realizes, like, look, we're going to play with Giroud because Mishi's not offering it. And because we're going to play with Giroud, I need to change my style of thinking for now because Tammy's hurt, and I can't put Tammy out there and then lose him for the rest of the season. It's okay to play differently when you have different players out there. I, I don't understand. Like, we don't, don't have the definitely play. We play football, and I'm just switching up puzzle pieces. It's not that simple. We don't have that flexibility. We're not Manchester City where we have two top forwards, two top wingers in each spot, top midfielders. Like, we don't have that. We have yeah. way different kind of play, people in different places because our, our, our sporting director role doesn't think properly. And now that means that the manager has to be flexible. And I thought Lampard was going to do that because earlier this season, we switched to a three, four, three, a few times and it worked when it didn't, he switched back to other things. But recently it's Mm -hmm. go ball wide, spam cross in complain about not finishing. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. I mean, we, we are at our best or we were at our best when Lampard was being a reactive manager, like the Tottenham match, we played a back three. And it, it was it was a it, people called it a tactical masterclass, and it was in all fairness, you know, putting Mason Mount out wide with Willie and that high press, Tammy Abraham up top as well. All three of them had a stormer that that game, and we were all praising Lampard for being a reactive manager, for knowing who we're gonna play, and for or adapting the lineup and selecting the team to win a game. You know, it's not about instilling your philosophy because if you're really gonna look down the line, and this is. This is, you know, uh, uh, I think this is a big point in, in, you know, Lampard's coaching career. You know, it's not not a make it or break it, but it'll determine what kind of manager he'll become in the future. He he has to be able to adapt to certain situations in certain games against certain teams. And he just hasn't shown that as of late. Um, you know, I'm really going to mention it, but like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, 
He played a back three. And he switched up his lineup multiple times this season. He's trying to find things that work. And as of right now, the back three look pretty solid. And they're not leaking goals anymore. So he found a way to kind of clog up that issue. I think Frank needs to find a way to to just get the players out there in a system that's going to be the most effective for what you have. Adapt to the players and not necessarily try to instill your philosophy because three, four, five years down the line, if Lampard's still our manager, only three or four of these players are still going to be wearing a Chelsea shirt. You know, it's And, and, and to go off what you said about Gunnar Solskjaer, he just lost Rashford. He's yeah. not asking... I don't know, Greenwood to come in and do the Rashford role. What did he do? Like you said, he switched it up and he's playing two up top with Martial and Daniel James with Bruno Fernandes right behind them. Like he changed it because he knows he's not going to get the same role from a player who's not the same guy. Like we're not going to get a Tammy Abraham performance from Mishi or Giroud. So you change things up. I really like that uh, that Portuguese twang there, Bruno Fernandes. <laughs> Speaking of the 3-4-3, by the way, just a quick note. Did you guys notice how many teams played 3-4-3 this past week in Champions League? Uh, Conte, like, the Conte effect song. Uh -huh. Not even in the Champions League. Look at the Premier League. Yeah. Well, yeah. well Man U played against us. Well, like a 3-4-3 variant. Dortmund Wolves. and PSG were both playing it. Uh, yeah. Leipzig was playing it. Atalanta also. Leicester and, played it a lot this yeah, year, too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. The Conte. Yeah. Like, all right, let's get into this uh, Liverpool matchup. Um, so uh, Liverpool. I, think I I told I told these guys earlier, but I've you developed mean, like Tottenham song. Spuds. Uh, we know how much you hate Liverpool. But... Did I say Liverpool? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we don't play them till March. Relax. See, like uh, I got this. I've been telling them earlier. I got like crab mentality right now. It's like I, I we're in such shit right now. Like the only thing that brings me joy is like seeing other teams fail. So like. Top, like I don't know how how we're still uh, top four right now. Like everything has possibly gone right for us except for us winning. So, um, but uh, the Spurs Spurs have been are, are just as destroyed as us as far as injury. Kane's been out. Son is now reportedly out for the year with what like a broken arm. Yeah. Uh, so. I mean, most likely they'll replicate their mat their midweek Champions League lineup from today. Uh, so they had Yoris, Aurier, Sanchez, Anderveld, uh, Davies, Getson, Winks, Lo Celso, Dele Alli, uh, Berg, and uh, Berg, Berg, Bergy, and Berg. Lucas, <laughs> and Lucas. So they were playing. Uh, they were playing. Uh, what formation? Four two three one. Yeah. It was yeah. Like a yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, but um, Nacho Fuentes uh, has a question, right? This is this yeah. is a this is a Twitter follower, Nacho Fuentes. Oh yeah, yep. Oh yeah, he, yeah. Nacho he asked, Fuentes. He asks, with Conte likely to miss Spurs and Bayern, what midfield combination would be ideal to combat Mourinho's shithousery and Bayern's attacking prowess? Uh, so Andreas, I'll start off with you. We talked about how everyone's – no. Okay, sorry. Never. Uh, Billy Gilmore is now part of the first team, so I'd rather see his name on the bench than Barkley's. But uh, you just mentioned it, 3-4-3. Three, three. Today, at the time of recording, we watched Leipzig play Spurs today, and a high-pressing 3-4-3 three, three suffocated 
Tottenham for a solid 70 minutes and then not sure kind of what Nagelsmann did at the end, but he kind of put pumped the brakes and led Tottenham back in it, back in it. But for the first half, I think, Sam, you watched the game too. We can agree that the high 3-4-3, like the high pressure 3-4-3, if executed properly, was just making Tottenham sweat the whole oh, time. It, it, it could was... have easily been 4 nothing at halftime. <laughs> it could have been 3 nothing in the first like 90 seconds it was crazy like the yeah they, I, they just I, I think created that... so many chances like all throughout the match i mean except for the second half honestly like second half it was a little like uh spurs maintained got their composure back yeah but, uh like i think i think uh, what you're saying is exactly right though yeah the... i think i think you go three four three i think you you bring back the the spurs killer in alonzo at left wing back he hasn't played in a bit. He should be healthy, and he loves playing Spurs. And then you tell Pedro that he can go ahead and start packing his bags and find his new team because he also shouldn't play or start for Chelsea because I'm tired of backwards dribbles, double scissors towards your own net because that actually led to a free kick, which led to the corner that ended up scoring the second goal for us. So Butterfly effect. Uh, <laughs> right. And plus, Mount at the wing in the 3-4-3 against Spurs last time. His high press is probably one of the best we have. And mm. so having him on one side working hard opposite to William would be a huge plus. Obviously, you if you have Giroud starting because Tammy's not ready, you won't have him pressing as much. But he'll be an immediate target for any pass when we do pick up possession at any point, at any place in the pitch. So I say 3-4-3. Three, three. You bring back Tamori, Alonzo, and uh, Mount and Giroud. To, to, to that 11, and, and hopefully you can get a result. Yeah. Um, I got to agree, man. I mean, again, it, it comes down to being a reactive manager, knowing knowing the team that you're playing and knowing what they hate to play against, and they, they definitely hate to play against the 3-4-3. Um, but the one thing I am going to say is Leipzig was successful because they, they do have game changers within their squad also, right? So, you know, Patrick Schick was actually, even though he didn't score, he got on that, he caused a lot of trouble for the Spurs back line. Mm -hmm. And Timo Werner just completely dominated the game from beginning to end. So, yes, of course we don't have those players, but all all we need is just one goal to win a match. And we, it can, just seems we can try to replicate so it. So impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Well, well we did. Sheik was doing what Giroud likes to do, which is you bring the yeah. ball down and you play the two runners through. Like it was yeah. literally Sheik to Werner, Sheik to who, who was the other guy? The other guy got subbed out. But it was, I literally saw Sheik brings the ball with his back to goal down. Plays the ball to either the wing back or through to Werner. Like it, it was automatic. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, I, I don't know how to say that name properly, but so I, I'll pass. The the thing that worries me with the three four three is one, um, if we get Dave in that back three, and Reese James plays as a wing back, I think that uh, you know Bergvine and Lucas are going to have a field day running into those channels. Yeah. That. That's my one concern about the you three four David three. But then again, no. But 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 then again, I mean, if you do play a four three three or a four two three one, you're leaving yourself more vulnerable at the back, which is our biggest weakness. And I, I wish we could put Ethan Ampadu back there. He did a really good job today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Shout I'm out not, to Ethan. Ampadu. I really am not over exaggerating when I thought he had a masterclass performance today. Like he was 
he was amazing. And he was cramping up Ethan Crampadu uh, towards the end. <laughs> and, dude, he I, – I don't know if you, – you didn't watch the end of the match, but Tottenham had like a – like a chance uh, right at the end of the match and literally Ampadu's holding his leg while he's cramping and runs back and chases tracks back who, who, do you, were you watching it Andreas no, yeah, yeah I'm I'm trying to remember who it was it, was it like wasn't right at the it was, was it look I feel like everything was around Lo Celso in the second yeah. half but I, I don't want to speak out of term yeah, it, it probably was anyway him. it was like right at the no it was Lucas it was Lucas I'm sorry yeah. it was definitely Lucas and he stole the ball like literally right at the end, like at the 95th minute, like, and it, the game ended. And he just fell on the ground. It was like the most unbelievable display of like human grit, like <laughs> sheer well, determination. Well, look, is that really a surprise? Because when he was at Chelsea, that's why we all like took an affinity towards him. Ninety-eight passes, ninety-five percent fact... yeah. pass accuracy, seven accurate long balls, a tackle won, five interceptions, two clearances, one aerial. At 19, 19 years yeah. old. Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time he played for Chelsea, and I, it, it was a cup match, and the first tackle he went into, that player had to go off. <laughs> and I just remember thinking to myself, like, fuck yeah, I could roll with this kid. Like, this is something that we've been missing. And, and it showed against United, you know, Chelsea do have a tendency to get bullied, especially, you know, since we decided to go with this more attacking philosophy of football you know, we're used to having these really steely, physically humongous sides that just have, you know, th that are full of bruisers, at least up the spine for the most part. You know, through the years, you could remember the Drogba's, the Diego Costa's up top, the Matic's and the, the, the Michael Ballack's in the midfield, Michael Essien's even. And then in the back line, I mean, it's not even comparable right now compared to what it used to be. But I just think that that's something that we're missing. And kind of bummed out that he didn't come back in January, but the fact that he didn't get any playing time this whole season but gets a start against Spurs in London and puts on a good performance, man, that feels good. So so there are some small victories to that be happy about here. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Like like we get joy out of other this others' dismays. But I mean Ampadu got a got a win, so like we were celebrating for that. I mean that was like perfect and he looks really sick with his haircut like he looks really sick honestly no i like this hair before i honestly I th yeah I, I miss the dreads for sure yeah i don't know he looks like really hard like really scary all right well i mean well yeah i mean that's pretty much it huh any, I mean, any bold predictions uh, uh i'm terrified to make a prediction andres here here's terrified. my bold prediction because at this point it is bold we win <laughs> that no too bold Hold your horses. A win. I won't give. I won't give my prediction because I'm always wrong. But I will say this: Chelsea have won their last 24 out of 25 home league matches against Spurs. <laughs> okay, yeah. Let's talk about home record. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about home form this <laughs> season. Yeah, Why don't we? Come on. I, I wish there was a camera. I'm holding on my middle finger oh. to the to the computer screen right now. Yeah. Fuck both of you guys. But no, I. If we win this match, it will be like, it'll be huge. It will be really, really big. And I think, I think the players are going to react to the showing against Man United. Um, you know, there have been times this season, as many times as we've lost, there have been a lot of opportunities for us to, to pick up a win, uh, and an important win. I think when we played Spurs the first time around, I'm pretty sure we lost the match before that, if if I'm not mistaken. 
Um, but then we went right into North London and slapped the shit out of them. So maybe that could happen again. Who knows? Like, am I over-exaggerating when I say that this is probably our biggest game of the season? Like, this is the biggest no. game of the season. No, it I mean, is. If the United we're... one was, and then it turned into the biggest loss of the season, and now this is our new biggest game of the season, I as mean, it should it, be. The loss last week set up this to be the yeah. Like, if we lose, we drop possibly to Two seventh. Yep. We could, we so, could drop all the way to seventh. So what does that mean? So I'm 4-0 Chelsea? Tottenham, I mean, not not considering this loss today, they've won their past three Premier League matches, and I me mean, including it, what they won against City two 0 right? That's a, I mean, the, the fact that they don't have strikers kind of terrifies me though, because now it gives Mourinho that much more of a reason to be Mourinho and just park the bus and make it really, really fucking difficult for anybody to break them down. Hey, with with our front, if we play the same front three we had last time, they they would have no hard. they would have no reason to park the bus. Like we're not we're not scoring. It'll uh, be a short bus. We'll be we'll do probably. Yeah, we gotta stop making those jokes. <laughs> but, I know. Anyways, right. yeah, let's get to part two. So, so um, in case you guys are still listening, hopefully you still are. We are gonna be uh, dropping a State of the Union pod. Um, we're actually going to go ahead and record it right now. So until next week um, or until next pod, keep the blue flag flying high.